Hey, Leading Learning listener, if you represent a membership organization looking for ways to expand your online course catalog rapidly with high quality content, we have good news. At leadinglearning.com AMA, you can find out how to make online training from the American Management Association available to your learners. Through a partnership between AMA and Tagoras, the parent company of Leading Learning, you can give your learners access to more than 70 e-learning modules covering essential business topics ranging from leading and innovating, to managing projects effectively, to working in hybrid teams. For details on how to grow your catalog with courses from a true global leader in management training, visit leadinglearning.com AMA. If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 135 of the Leading Learning Podcast. We're going to focus on virtual conferences. We're going to talk about why we think you should consider one as well as offer some tips for how to offer one should you decide to pursue the option. Before we get to virtual conferences, though, we want to be sure to acknowledge our sponsor for the second quarter of 2018. And that sponsor is Review My LMS, a collaboration between our company, Tagoras, and 100 Reviews, the company that's behind the very successful Review My AMS site. As the name suggests, Review My LMS is a site where users can share and access reviews of learning management systems. But in this case, the focus is specifically on systems that are a good fit for learning businesses, meaning organizations that market and sell lifelong learning. Contribute a review and you will get access to all existing and future reviews, and there are already more than 100 on the site. And if you don't have a review to contribute, there's also a subscription option. Just go to ReviewMyLMS.com to get all the details. For our resource for this episode, we're going to point you to our Association Virtual Events Report. The report, based on data collected from over 100 organizations, provides decision makers who want leading-edge knowledge to support their strategic planning for virtual events, and it touches on topics like timing and pricing, registration and attendance, tools commonly used to deliver virtual events, and common mistakes to avoid. We're going to be releasing a new version of the report this fall in September, but we encourage you to check out the current edition. And to do that, simply go to the show notes for this episode at leadinglearning.com slash episode 135. Now, Jeff, let's turn to virtual conferences, our topic today. And I think perhaps it would be useful to start by describing what we mean by the term virtual conference. Yeah, definitely, because uh, that, that term gets thrown around a lot. And um, to start off with, you know, we're not talking about just one-off webinars, you know. So if you just hold your standard webinar, you, you obviously haven't held a, 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 a virtual conference. Uh, but we also use the term virtual event pretty much interchangeably with virtual conference. That may be a, you know, a little different from some how, how some other folks approach it. But, uh, but again, when we say virtual event or virtual conference, we tend to mean about the same thing. And here's the definition that uh, we use in the association virtual events report. A virtual event is a web-based event that replicates many aspects of a traditional place-based conference, membership meeting, or trade show. 
And it may take place on a standalone basis or in conjunction with a place-based conference, uh, in, in which case it would typically be called a hybrid event. And virtual events feature multiple sessions, so again, not just a single webinar or webcast, and they may include a keynote presentation or presentations, uh, training and education workshops, discussion areas, social networking opportunities, exhibit areas for vendors, and various other features. Activities in a virtual event may take place in real time, which could also be called synchronously, on demand, asynchronously, or some combination of the two. Okay, so now that we're on the same page in terms of what a virtual conference is, let's turn to why offer one. And when thinking of why to do anything, um, one of the ways to approach that can be by examining the alternatives. And in the case of a virtual conference, uh, we see two obvious kind of high-level alternatives. Uh, First, offer the information, knowledge, skills, networking, et cetera, via some other format. And then secondly, do nothing. So in that first bucket, the bucket of offer the information, skills, networking, et cetera, in some other format, um, there are a lot of options within that bucket. You know, so it could be that you hold a place-based conference, that you develop a, a book or other uh, kind of print resource, you make an online course, and so on. And anyone who's been following our work probably knows that uh, we're advocates of thinking beyond courses when it comes to building a learning business. And virtual conferences are are definitely a beyond courses business model. Uh, And it's also a business model that we've been working with a lot ourselves. Uh, We had a virtual conference in 2017 and in 2018, uh, had a lot of success with those. And and we're really bullish on the format and feel that uh, organizations and even individual entrepreneurs haven't yet taken advantage of them. Them to the degree that they could and probably should. And we've got six reasons, uh, or at least six that we'll name here, that uh, we think a virtual conference is worth considering. And the first of these is that putting one together makes you a convener in your space. So it puts you in the position of connecting dots and creating value. And this is a path to being perceived as a leader in the space you serve. And we'd say, you know, even even if you already have some sort of place-based conference, this is true because chances are you're only reaching a relatively small percentage of your audience with that place-based conference. So this makes you a convener on potentially a much bigger scale than has been possible before. A second reason to consider a virtual conference is that you get to showcase your organization's expertise and you get a chance to link your organization with other experts. And that tends to raise the perception of your expertise. Um, Again, as as Jeff's saying, that's something you can do with a place-based conference as well. But again, potentially only a subset of uh, those folks that you serve are going to be able to make it to a place-based event. And so uh, using a virtual conference format really allows you to more broadly broadcast uh, your expertise and connect yourself with experts. And then number three, you also get to leverage the marketing power of those experts, you know, of those uh, experts that you involve to reach a broader audience than you could reach on your own. So, you know, you might be involving subject matter experts in a a place-based conference. Maybe you get a little bit of marketing power out of them, but we've found that, you know, when you involve people in a virtual conference, you know, there's going to be a lot of material usually associated with that event that experts can link to. Um, It's going to be able to reach a much bigger audience. So the experts who are involved are going to be much more inclined to reach out to their networks and market that event and give you that additional exposure, attract those additional learners to your offerings. 
Uh, the fourth reason we'll offer is that um, you get to move at least relatively fast in putting together an offering if you go the virtual conference route. I think this is a benefit that's perhaps particularly evident when comparing a, a virtual conference to developing an, an in-depth online course where you might have to go through all sorts of needs analysis and curriculum design um, and even then, too, when comparing it to holding a place-based conference. Um, now, that said, if we kind of keep that idea of, of the online course as sort of our point of comparison, you know, I, I think a lot of people struggle to put together a whole course. Just It can be so daunting to think about, um, you know, that needs analysis, that sort of overarching arc of, the, of what needs to be taught and, and getting it a uh, constructed in in a way that's going to be easy for the learners to follow, and also the cost of getting that wrong is really high because you're you know producing this sort of uh, self-contained um, uh, en- entity and product that's then meant to go out and um, survive for a long time. So there's a, a lot riding on that. It's comparatively easier to deliver an online session or two in in a topic. Um, of expertise that you might have in-house at your organization, and then, of course, to leverage others to provide additional content. And as you're, you know, suggesting there, or the kind of the, the extension of what you're saying is, you know, virtual conf- conference can be a great testing ground. So, you know, test out your own content. If you're considering putting together some bigger program that will involve other experts, you know, test them out as well. And then that leads to, to number five, which is a great element of doing a virtual conference, is that you can record the whole thing so that you end up with both a live event and a product or products that you can continue to promote and sell afterwards. And those may be just the, the direct recordings from the event uh, that uh, you're going to you know, put out there as is and, and uh, uh, license or, or, or uh, sell on an on-demand basis. But it also might be that you take those recordings and then you're able to work with them and shape them and, and ultimately make that longer course or certificate program or, or whatever um, uh, based off of that pilot content and taking that and editing and shaping it. But the virtual conference gave you a great form to, to run that and test it in the first place. And then the, the sixth and final reason we'll offer here, it, it's certainly not uh, the least of these. We, in fact, think it might be the most important. It's simply that you're going to learn a lot in the process of putting together and holding a virtual conference. Um, and chances are very high that you're going to be able to leverage at least some of what you learn into new opportunities. It might help you forge um, relationships with some of those other experts that you're going to involve in it, and that might turn into a partnership down the road as just one small example. So there are going to be many ways, we think, for you to sort of take what you're learning, um, not just in terms of the the topics and, and subjects that make up the agenda for your virtual conference, but just through what you're learning kind of outside the scope of that as you're putting it all together. And so that's look, looking at some of the reasons to do a virtual conference compared to other things you might do, whether that's a you know a course or a certificate program or a place-based event. But uh, it's worth also looking at the the other big alternative, which is simply to do nothing. Um, so it might be useful to look at a couple of the objections or hurdles that typically get raised against offering a, a virtual conference and. The first of these is that uh, putting together a virtual conference can can sound daunting and time consuming, and and it's true that you know not not many folks are doing them yet. So you know we've surveyed on this, uh, particularly among the trade and professional association audience, and uh, of the 112 respondents to a, a survey that we ran for our virtual events report, our association virtual events report that was released in 2014 only a third indicated that their organization has previously offered a virtual event. But 
But we think we're really on a tipping point here, and acting sooner rather than later is really, frankly, part of the attraction. A lot of people don't go this route simply because it sounds complex or they're, or they're worried about it, you know, um, cannibalizing their, their place-based events, which, by the way, pretty much never happens. Uh, in fact, we don't know a single instance of that happening. Actually, the opposite uh, tends to happen. But, you know, a lot of people just won't go this route, and that means that those who are willing to roll up their sleeves uh, and do a little work have a great opportunity. This is one of those times where you can be a first mover, which is often so, so important in, in markets, uh, you know, and that uh, you're just, you're going to get so much benefit um, out, of, out of the time that you invest in, in embracing the, this new approach. And then the main other argument that we typically hear get raised against offering a virtual conference is, you know, hey, the technology is complex and expensive. Now, um, as Jeff mentioned, we've offered a virtual conference twice. The first time we used a relatively high-end sort of all-in-one platform. It came with a lot of um, staff support from the company um, offering the platform. The second time we went more of a do-it-yourself route. We blended together off-the-shelf products, and we're going to actually talk a little bit more um, about what we used a little later in the episode, so stay tuned for that. So, you know, what I want to point out here, though, is that although folks may say it's complex and expensive, there are very affordable, um, sometimes even free uh, options in terms of the technology. And really recently, especially over the, just the last few years, the technology has gotten much simpler, both in terms of what you'll need um, to support a virtual conference, and then also to what your attendees will need to be able to participate. It's just gotten to be much more kind of common um, technology, and folks are comfortable with it. And we'll note, you know, we're not a big company, um, and, and we plan to stay a small company by choice. So we don't have a technology department in house that we can march down to and say, "Hey, put this stuff together for us." So we need, you know, affordable, cost-effective approaches to doing this that, that we can handle with a small company, and that is that is absolutely doable at this point. In fact, it's really quite easy to do. And the bottom line is that virtual conferences can just be a great way to move relatively fast to get a high value offering created that offers value to the organizations and the, and the learners that you serve. So we've looked at some key reasons why we think you should at least consider a virtual conference as an option. Um, now let's talk about some tips for launching a successful virtual conference in case you decide to pursue that option. And so the first tip that we will uh, offer up is add some context to your content. Uh, and this is probably a, a good, good tip all around for learning experiences. But uh, specific to virtual conferences, it's relatively easy to round up a bunch of different presenters, you know, schedule them from, for webinars over a couple of days, and then call that a virtual conference. And the problem with this approach is that you know, the sessions are usually only loosely related, as, as so often happens with place-based events, to, to be frank. Uh, they're loosely related. The attendees tend to cherry-pick. And in the end, very little real learning happens. So if you want to deliver real value and impact, and as a result, prime your attendees to return for your next offering, you need to put effort into curating the experience in a way that helps bring out the value of the content in much the same way that a well-curated exhibit in a museum greatly enhances the value of the objects on display. And for us, you know, with our LTD events, 
this meant having uh, an overarching theme or, or big idea that drove uh, the conference. We did this in, in, uh, in our 2018 LTD virtual conference. In our case, that big idea was that learning is a business and that excelling as a learning business professional requires a commitment to continuous growth in the areas that we've identified in our learning business maturity model, which we'll make sure to link to in the, in the show notes. And so to introduce and sustain this theme and to highlight connections among the the sessions and the theme, we hosted opening priming sessions and a closing synthesis session on each day of the conference. So we were very actively there, you know, teeing things up and making sure that we were connecting the dots among uh, sessions that we chose very carefully in the first place to make sure that uh, attendees were seeing the big picture, that they were getting the context, that they were getting the full value out of the event. So that's tip number one, add some context to your content. Uh, The second tip is make it easy for others to market. Uh, Your best promoters for a virtual conference are the people who have a stake in it. And so this might be presenters, sponsors, exhibitors, and attendees. Um, And there may be other possibilities. Um, For our Learning Technology Design 2018, we really focused on presenters, and the vendors who had sponsored um, one of our other key initiatives. And we gave those folks specific language and images that they could use in emails and on social media channels like LinkedIn and Twitter. Um, For LTD 2018, we chose not to focus on encouraging attendees to market the event. Um, It's definitely a a possibility, though, a place to um, consider. We just happened to know from past experience that we probably weren't likely to get much of a return on effort with our audience. Um, that said, we've seen this approach work very well with other virtual events. The, the folks over at Association Success, for example, get a lot of their attendees to um, share uh, their events on social media and um, via email using a platform called Snowball. So depending on your audience, depending on what you know about them, it's definitely worth, consider, worth considering enlisting your attendees to help market as well. And I'll give a little extra shout out there for uh, Ariana Ray Hack and, and the folks at Association Success and their Surge event. Uh, we do have an interview with uh, Ariana. We'll uh, make sure that we link to that in the show notes. And uh, you know, if you're listening to this episode, you're most likely interested in virtual events. Um, certainly, we encourage you to look at all of our resources around it and, and track what we do with our LTD events, but also look at the Surge events that uh, Association Success offers because those are great examples as well. And they've they've really had some some great success with those. So those were the first two. Uh, Add some context to your content and then make it easy for others to market. And then the third one that we'll offer is mix in meaningful social aspects. And, you know, one of the the major criticisms, the typical criticism of virtual events is that uh, you don't manage to get the same networking and interaction that you do with face-to-face events. And, you know, while it's true that face-to-face interaction has qualities that uh, don't necessarily translate directly into a virtual environment, the level and quality of interaction you can create online is is really quite high, you know, if you just put some thought and effort into it. So we used Zoom as our webinar platform for delivering uh, live sessions in our most recent virtual conference. And one of the many reasons we like Zoom is that unlike, for example, GoToWebinar, which we had been using before, Zoom allows you to enable uh, a chat feature in addition to Q&A during webinars. And GoToWebinar currently doesn't allow that during its during webinars. You can do it in their in their training uh, platform, but not their their higher scale uh, webinar platform. 
and people are increasingly comfortable using chat as a tool. And I mean, we really had some some great exchanges during the sessions uh, at the events, and we and we uh, you know shared those chat transcripts afterwards. Um, these they helped to spark exchanges. Um, and uh, or we helped to, to spark exchanges, you know, during the uh, the sessions, and and we made sure that you know we were prepared to ask relevant and, and provocative questions, and that we continually encouraged participants to contribute. So chat, you know, during the live sessions is is one great thing or one great way to add some some meaningful social to your virtual events. But we also wanted to go further and provide a place where discussion could continue uh, between and beyond sessions. And, you know, there are a number of approaches for doing that. We've seen events use private Facebook and LinkedIn groups uh, successfully, for example. Um, in our case, we decided to use uh, BB Press, which is a, a WordPress discussion board plugin that integrated very easily with the, the WordPress site that we set up for the event. Uh, we also used uh, Buddy Boss's great uh, social learning theme along with some add-ons, and that helped to create a Facebook-type environment for event attendees. So we, you know, we were really trying to fire on all engines with the, the, the social tools that were available there for people. Now, we will say you know, to, to definitely keep in mind that social doesn't just happen usually, at least not initially. You know, you're going to need to remind people to participate in chat and in discussion. And I've already mentioned that uh, we've already mentioned that we would, you know, continually prompt people to participate in chat during the live sessions. For the discussion component, um, we sent out a weekly email in which we highlighted some of the most active discussions on the forum and linked directly to them. So, you know, we were, we were trying to make it as visible and as easy for possible, easy as possible for people to, to be aware of and to participate in the social uh, interactions that were connected with the virtual conference. So our next tip is use at least some live video. Um, thanks to platforms like Zoom, which we used for LTD 2018, streaming video um, as part of a live web event has just gotten easy and much less risky. Um, and even a small amount of video can make an online event feel much more personal and intimate, and that then can help boost attendee engagement. We used video for a few minutes at the beginning of all of our sessions. Um, we used it while we were introducing speakers, and then we turned it off once uh, the speaker moved into the actual presentation. We also used video for all of the priming and synthesis sessions that Jeff mentioned, and we're going to talk some more about those in a minute. Um, but every time we used it, really the aim with the video was to make it clear that you know while the environment for learning might be virtual in this case, um, that that environment was filled with real people, people who were there for real teaching, real discussion, real learning. So the next one is to plan for strong customer support. And, you know, our view is that providing for clear, competent learner support is really one of the main ways you can differentiate your event as a professional effort. And, you know, if you want it to be a paid event or you want to position it as a premium offering, then you definitely need to provide good support. So, you know, these days, people are much more accustomed to using the technologies that make a virtual event possible. So, you know, most people have participated in a webinar at this point or a discussion board, but that doesn't mean that you won't run into technical headaches. And, you know, technology aside, 
you need to make sure that everyone understands all of the event logistics, including you know what sessions will take place when, where they go to access them, when they can expect recordings to be available. And we made sure we posted navigation links to key information in, in obvious areas of the event website, but we also emailed all attendees multiple times to make sure they knew the session schedule and how to access the, the sessions. To help out anyone who did truly need support, uh, we also had a support email address and a phone number in the footer of the website, a, a contact page with support information um, that was you know, linked to as part of the main navigation. And then again, we let attendees know about their support options by email. So this is, this is definitely an area where over-communicating can, can be worth it. Um, uh, you, you, know, you don't want anybody to have an, an excuse to say they didn't know uh, about something that's going on with the event. And then finally, we, con we contracted through uh, Upwork uh, for someone to, to help us with uh, support during as well as immediately before and after the, the live sessions. And, you know, really, you can find qualified people to do just about anything on Upwork. And that's just at uh, www.upwork.com if you want to check that out. And the person we found was just, you know, was very professional and available at a, at a really reasonable rate. And, you know, we didn't actually end up needing much support help. Everything really went very smoothly. But, you know, having that contract support help there was just really, really invaluable as an insurance policy and not to mention a, a stress reducer. So we have three more tips to offer. Um, the, the next one is prepare your presenters for success. Um, Jeff and I gave a lot of thought and reached out to some great folks to lead each of um, the sessions at, at our virtual conferences. But we also knew that even the best prevent presenters can really um, benefit from good support and opportunities for feedback and practice. So we made sure from the very beginning through email and, and phone calls that the presenters had a really good understanding of, of the event and our vision for the event and also that they understood our expectations for their session. And we scheduled two calls with um, the presenters during the weeks before the event. So one of these we call a content call. And, and in this, um, we talk through uh, the points that the presenter, or in some cases, multiple presenters, plan to cover during their session and discussed ways that we could help make each session as successful as possible. So as one example, we help some presenters by identifying attendees willing to volunteer marketing or, or course materials for uh, diagnosis during a live session. Uh, in another case, we collaborated with two presenters to deliver part of uh, a session. And so in general, the content call was a way to make sure the presenters had begun actively thinking about their material and that there was enough time for us to help fill any gaps or, or act on any good ideas that, that came up during that conversation. And then we also scheduled a time for a dry run um, for each session. And we did those roughly a week before the scheduled time for the session. And that gave the presenters uh, an opportunity to run through as much of their session as they wanted to, um, both to get our feedback and then also just to make sure they were fully comfortable with the Zoom environment and that they didn't run into any issues or, or questions. Now, we can't say there weren't, uh, you know, any glitches at all in the LTD sessions, but uh, I'm certain that the time we spent helping presenters greatly increased the overall quality of the event. And so now for the uh, next to last penultimate uh, tip that we'll give, and that's to treat attendees as collaborators. And we've already mentioned that uh, attendees can be valuable collaborators for marketing the event. 
through the use of uh, social tools like chat and discussion, they can they can also be valuable contributors to the learning experience. But you can take things even a step or two further by featuring attendees in the session content. And we did this in a number of ways. Um, one we already mentioned was that we reached out to attendees to volunteer as essentially case studies uh, for some of the sessions. In one of the marketing sessions, an attendee provided a, a sales page from her organization's website for analysis, for example. Um, and then uh, for sessions focused on instructional design, um, one attendee uh, sent in a, a screenshot from one of his organization's webinars, and another sent in several screens from a self-paced course that she wanted uh, advice on reworking. And so those were you know, actual content uh, within those, uh, those sessions. But in addition to leveraging the materials submitted by attendees, we also offered uh, what we called a, a collaborative coaching session as part of LTD 2018. And this is something we definitely plan to do more of in the future. The, the general idea of collaborative coaching is that an attendee poses a challenge or opportunity that she's facing in her learning business. And then other attendees, most of whom have faced similar challenges, provide advice. And you know you need a certain amount of structure and process to make this work well, and, and we do actually discuss this in a, a blog post that we'll link to in the show notes so you'll know exactly how to do this type of uh, collaborative uh, coaching. But if you put that uh, structure in place, uh, it can be really beneficial, certainly for the person who's being coached, but for everybody involved, really. And then finally, uh, we held weekly follow-up Friday sessions, which were essentially office hours for addressing questions and discussing any of the content covered in the event. And, and you know, obviously partic participants in the, the conference would come and participate in these sessions. And, and then some of them, we even invited uh, those participants, the, the attendees at LTD, to become panelists in the discussion. And, you know, that is to join us uh, on video. So they were really, they were part of the, uh, the content for those uh, follow-up Friday sessions. So that brings us to the final tip, and it may sound like a throwaway, but it's actually really important, and it's simply this, start well in advance. So it's not just a matter of getting technology in place, it's also a matter of scheduling and having the lead time you need for marketing, the time you need so presenters can prepare well. Um, I, we said earlier that virtual conferences can can yield a product faster than some of the other alternatives, and, and that's true, but they do still take time. And like anything, they'll suffer if you try to rush them too much. So those are our thoughts on why to consider a virtual conference and some of our ideas and tips based on our own experience to support your success if you should decide to offer a virtual conference. And we certainly hope you will at least consider it if it's something that you're not doing already. To get show notes for this episode, just go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 135, and this will include a link to Association Virtual Events, the report we mentioned as the resource for this episode. While you're at the show notes, you're going to see various options for subscribing to the podcast. And if you're getting value out of what you hear, we would be truly grateful if you would subscribe. We'd also be grateful if you'd take just a minute to give us a rating on iTunes. All you have to do is go to leadinglearning.com slash iTunes. That'll put you in the right place. We appreciate getting those ratings and reviews. They help us know that you value what we're doing here. They also help Leading Learning pop up whenever somebody who's interested in the learning business is looking for great audio content. 
We'd also be grateful if you would take a minute to visit our sponsor for this quarter, Review My LMS. Jeff and I put a lot of work into producing and delivering the Leading Learning Podcast, and one of the key reasons we're able to do that is because of the support of sponsors. So please visit ReviewMyLMS.com, and if you can, contribute a review to help others find the right platform for their needs. Finally, consider telling others about the podcast. You can do that really easily on social media by uh, sending out a tweet. To do that, just go to leadinglearning.com slash share, and that's going to automatically pop up a pre-filled tweet that really all you have to do is, is click the tweet button on to send it out to the world. But if tweeting isn't your thing, you can also take that language or language of your own and put it into another social network, LinkedIn, Facebook, whatever you use. And also consider just walking down the hall and telling people about the Leading Learning Podcast. But whatever you do, please help us spread the good word. Thanks again and see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.